Welcome to Colorado Inside Out, PBS 12's weekly roundtable that presents an analysis of Colorado's public policy issues. I'm Debbie Brown, president of Colorado Business Roundtable, where we amplify the voice of business as a force for good, and I'm honored to fill in today as your guest host. So topic one, the conservative House Freedom Caucus is demanding changes to House rules that would shift power away from congressional leaders. According to the caucus members involved, the reforms proposed would return the People's House back to the American people. So starting with uh, Patty Calhoun, we'll start the conversation today, uh, founder and editor of Westward. Uh, Patty, what are your thoughts about this decentralized a power uh, play. Well, first of all, I am so excited to be able to talk about Lauren Boebert in the first part of the show, <laughs> rather than during the disgrace section, because she is the communications director for the Freedom Caucus. That is the august position she has. She has put up a Facebook explanation, a uh, four-minute video, I encourage everyone to watch, about what this plan is. And they're actually I'll deny this next week, but there actually are a few things that make sense. One is that uh, bills should be submitted earlier. I mean, they're suggesting bills be submitted five days earlier so people actually have a chance to read them and discuss them before they vote on them. I think we all would like to see much more transparency in bills that are presented. There's also the suggestion that amendments be able to be made on the floor, which makes sense. But otherwise, this is probably a bad week for them to try to get attention when you see what's happened in the Senate with the Hickenlooper Mansion deal that was just made. Uh, these guys are not going to get a lot of attention on it. The Freedom Caucus is not a huge group, and it could get smaller depending on indictments after the January 6th <laughs> investigations are over. So we always should look at how our government can run better. And a couple of their ideas are good, but I don't see this going too far now. Thank you. Uh, David Kopel, uh, research director with the Independence <coughs> Institute. Some, some of the ideas actually seem like good ideas as far uh, as the proposal. Uh, very much. And, and they are certainly right that regardless of which party's been in charge of the House in, in recent years, it's been a very oligarchic thing. And the, the most extreme thing is that the House, instead of passing a budget through the normal appropriations process, does this very last minute thing called a continuing resolution where it's just, you know, bill over a thousand pages long and worked out only by people at the top of their party's leadership and then jammed on the House uh, with no opportunity for people even to read the bill uh, before they vote on it. In, in Colorado, um, where our Constitution was written later, and we saw the abuses in other states and, and in Congress, uh, one of the rules is it takes, under normal conditions, three days to pass a bill. You have it introduced, you have it then uh, second reading on a different day, and third reading on a different day, and in between it's got to go to a committee. But the U.S. House doesn't have those procedures, so they, they need something, and I think the five-day rule that give people time to read the bill before they vote on it is a great idea. One thing I think is a bad idea they have is they propose uh, rule by the majority of the majority. In other words, the Republicans say elect the Speaker of the House. The Speaker shouldn't bring forward any bill that is supported by less than half of the Republican caucus. And I don't agree with that. I think the, the House is there to, to make decisions as a whole. So if you have a bill that's supported by 40% of Republicans and 60% of Democrats, and that passes, that's, that's the process working. Great. And Danny, such an honor to get to know you today. Danny Newsom, Director of Strategic Partnerships uh, for Co Cobalt Advocates. Uh, jump in. Um, what about the piece about community um, spending? Is this just earmarks by another name? 
Well, I just have to step back and say the current chair of the House Freedom Caucus is Scott Perry, who was unsuccessful in his attempts to beg the former president for a pardon uh, for his role in the insurrection. So anything coming out of the so-called House Freedom Caucus, um, I look at uh, I look at quite skeptical. And I agree with David. Absolutely agree with David regarding the um, they want the rule that um, only you can only vote on something that if if Republicans uh, regain the majority in the House, that the majority of Republicans support, which is bogus. But they also want to be able to target, um, they want to target spending cuts at specific agencies, at specific people. Um, Anthony Fauci is retiring, so they may not be able to target Anthony Fauci. But trust me, they'll go after Big Bird. Uh, you know, they've always wanted to go after Big Bird. But quite seriously, they will go in a line item way and will, um, uh, go after their favorite boogeymen. And so this is the House Freedom Caucus, after all. Scott Perry, insurrectionist, uh, gets a no vote from me. Rounding out our panel today is our own Dominic Dizzuti, media consultant, and Dominic, the person who put Colorado inside <laughs> out on the map. Um, how will this end for the House Freedom Caucus? Uh, I don't think it's going to end well. And first of all, thank you. That's very kind. And I, I don't think I put CI on the map. I, I may have rolled up the map a couple times here and there, but uh, the legend's here at this table. Uh, and speaking of legends, it was great to see some history being made because we're only a couple minutes into the program. We've already heard, already heard Danny say, I agree with David. So this is historic uh, uh, program you're seeing right here. Um, I, I think we need to first look at, which is probably the enemy of any uh, congressional representative, look at some math. Uh, if Republicans were able to get the majority, let's just say by one in the, in the House, they would go to 218 seats. That's the minimum they would need for the majority. Right now, the Washington Examiner estimates the House Freedom Caucus to be at around three dozen members. So whether the ideas are good or ludicrous, why are 36 members suddenly shaking their hands, uh, shaking their fists in the air saying, this is how we're going to run things? I think if uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is, if he's trying to warm up his seat as Speaker of the House, uh, I'm not sure really how serious he needs to take this. I applaud their chutzpah of coming out and saying, hey, this is what we want, negotiate with us now. But I don't know if their credibility, as Danny talked about, or uh, the demands they're making, especially whether they be good ideas or absolutely ludicrous, deem much energy from Representative McCarthy. Great. Preparation perhaps for a red wave. We'll wait and see. Wait and see. Uh, topic number two, last week an Adams County judge ruled that a grand jury had probable cause when indicting the paramedics and police for manslaughter who were involved in Elijah McLean's death. The indictment had been previously challenged by some of the paramedics and officers. Uh, starting now, Dave, with you, give us some context on okay. this case. So in the view of the American founders, the grand jury was one of the essential protections of liberty because it means a prosecutor can't bring you into court and charge you with a felony and make you defend yourself unless a body of citizens has looked at the facts first and said there, there's enough here to make a real case. And the standard is probable cause, which is more probable than not. Now that's a, a, much, <coughs> excuse me, a much lower standard than for a criminal conviction by a, a, a petty jury of, of 12, because there they have to uh, find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. The, you're allowed to challenge, uh, the, but one of the ways the grand jury has become much weaker as a protection of people over the centuries, the courts say that a prosecutor can just share some of the evidence with the grand jury. So instead of the grand jury hearing all of the pro and con evidence, they may only get selectively shown the most in, inculpatory evidence. Here they, uh, 
the defendants uh, challenge the probable cause determination as they have the right to ask the judge to take a look at it. And the judge said, yeah, it, it's no problem. There is probable cause and rejected the defendant's idea to say, well, before you decide that, take some more time so we can get the grand jury instructions, which we think were defective, and some additional grand jury material. The judge said, no, we got enough already. Um, and besides that, there are victims' rights laws uh, that say cases should move forward expeditiously, and the judge didn't want any further delays. Danny, what are your thoughts? <laughs> you know, um, let's hear it for the Adams County judge, but also let's hear it for Attorney General Phil Weiser, who um, um, took over the investigation of the case, for goodness sake. This and shame, shame, shame on the former district attorney for the 17th Judicial District, who took a pass, who said there wasn't a, there wasn't a, a probable cause to disbelieve what the um, um, first responders had, had said. Of course there was. You could see the video. Elijah McLean, a very, very demure, a hundred pound young man, um, walking home and just on the basis of a call that said he was acting sketchy, this young man is dead, thrown to the ground and then given ketamine. You know, this was just, this was just, this was just murder is what it was. So let's hear it for Phil Weiser and let's hear it for the Adams County judge. But it's about time that the, um, uh, EMTs and the police involved are brought before the bar of justice. Yeah, such a tragedy and such a wake-up call. Dominic, how does this impact not only the Aurora PD but other police departments, not just in Colorado but across the country? What's, what's the wake-up call for police departments? I, I, I think all municipalities need to be paying attention to this because I think one of the most important things here, if, if trust and credibility is to be rebuilt in the Aurora community, there has to be uh, evidence that the process is being followed. And I, I, that's what I take away from this as a real positive, that the process of a grand jury is moving forward. And the people, the, there will still be a day in court. So the, we can trust the process that's been part of the foundation of this country for since its beginning. But other municipalities need to be taking notice because it's not as if this can't happen in Lakewood or in uh, uh, Thornton or in Denver or in anywhere else. And Aurora will continue, I think, to be a model for a lot of different issues. How is it being handled there? What mistakes are made? What can we learn there? It's the only way the community is going to be able to move forward over something tragic like this is if the process is being followed, lessons are learned. If both are ignored, it would be at our own peril. Well said. Patty, wrap us up. How does this, how does this eventually end? Well, it's going to be a mess, and it's not going to end quickly. When you think about it, it was back a year before the George Floyd killing that Elijah McClain was killed, and people paid almost no attention. It, the DA, as Danny cited, had said, okay, nothing wrong happened. There's no reason to disbelieve the officers within three months. And it was basically swept under the rug. There were some people who still followed the case. We wrote about it, but until the George Floyd protests, this was really 
something no one was paying attention to. And then, of course, there were racial, racial profiling, racial policing uh, incidents that came to the forefront across the country with the George Floyd case. And that's when all of a sudden we started hearing about Elijah McClain again. And Polis wound up appointing Weiser to do the investigation. And we also have the Aurora Police Department in general under the microscope. The group that's doing the study of them just came out with a report that said they've done some things right. They still have a long way to go. So good for them to be scrutinized, good for the changes that have been put in place. Um, they're in a tough p position because Vanessa Wil Wilson, the previous chief, is gone and they've got an interim chief in there. But Aurora's working on it and let's hope all municipalities are working on it. Great, thank you. Our next topic, Colorado saw an increase in out-of-state people seeking legal abortion services, the majority from Texas, while the remainder are scattered between other states who have made abortion illegal. Uh, Danny, let's start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on this recent news of an increase, perhaps, in um, people coming to Colorado? Well, I work for Cobalt, and so we're living it. But first, I have to say, thanks to an ill-gotten Supreme Court majority, now states are prohibited from um, uh, uh, stopping a crazy-eyed teenager or a crazy-eyed senior citizen from obtaining a, an assault rifle, but the state can step in and force a pregnant person to carry that pregnancy and force that uh, pregnant person to give birth. It is just... It, it's so twisted. And contrary to Supreme Court Justice Alito's assertion that there's no tradition or history of abortion in this country, which is a lie, of course there is. And abortion was legal in most places until the latter part of the 1800s. But having said that, at Cobalt, let me give this statistic, and this just shines a light on it. Thanks to the Reproductive Health Equity Act, abortion and contraceptives are fundamental rights in Colorado. So you do have people coming to Colorado. Um, in last year, Cobalt has an abortion fund, and part of what the abortion fund does is fund the abortion procedure and also fund the associated costs like travel, lodging, food, child care. Last year, our travel, I'll call it travel just to be easy, travel fund, $6,000 the whole year. But this year, between June 24th, when the Supreme Court issued the decision overturning Roe, and July 21st, so that's just short of a month, we spent almost $60,000 funding travel and lodging. And that tells you most of the people coming into Colorado are coming from Texas, but there are surrounding states. Because if you look at the map, the ever-changing map where abortion is legal, you will see that Colorado and New Mexico and Nevada are kind of there. So, yeah. It's an incredible, incredible increase. And these are people who need the medical care that they cannot get in their own states. And they're coming to Colorado because Colorado is a safe haven where medicine matters more than religious or political ide ideology. Dominic, what's your perspective on the issue? Uh, I think first and foremost, it's only going to get more complicated in Colorado. This is something that is, uh, we're going to watch, as of next week, uh, our neighboring state, Kansas, is going to be voting as a state on August 2nd on how that state should handle abortion rights. Right now it is legal, but will that change? Uh, that will, if 
Colorado is an island for services that's only going to increase. So these conversations and resources, everything that everyone's talking about is only going to magnify. And my big question here is how this is going to impact politics, especially this election year, because generally, while a very contentious and sensitive issue, abortion is relatively settled in Colorado. So when you got to an election season, usually, well, something might be on the ballot. It wasn't a top issue in all debates and things like that. That changes this year. And does that tilt, does that impact other races? I think about CD8, which is right now a razor thin between going R or going uh, D. You have uh, both Kirkmeyer and Caraveo, two women running for that seat, a brand new seat in an area that I think is up to about 40% Latino. Uh, that could really go in any direction. And something like this wouldn't take that much to tilt it one way or the other. It'll be interesting to watch and something that's only going to grow and impact in Colorado. Right, exactly. I think about polling, you know, inflation, geopolitical. Now this is a top issue for voters. Uh, what, what do you say, Patty, about that? Well, eight is going to be interesting because Caraveo is a physician. I mean, she really knows what she is talking about with women's rights and the health issues. This is going to get hotter. Part of the issue is demand and the wait time, which gets into the whole very controversial part of when an abortion is acceptable because people do divide on that. They might believe in choice, but they might say up until a certain time. There are others that will say up almost until birth if there are truly problems for the mother or problems with the baby. And Colorado is one of the few states that does offer late-term abortions. And if people in other states, if they're coming from Texas, if they're coming from Oklahoma, and if they have to wait, they're going to be sh they're going to be moved into that latter category, which makes it all the tougher for everybody, mm -hmm. for uh, the woman carrying the child, for the people who are pro-choice, the people who are anti-choice. So it's only going to get trickier as the demand grows and the impact is more on Colorado. Dave, any last words on this topic? It would be ideal if the uh, congressional candidates on all sides said whatever our personal opinion on abortion. The U.S. Constitution gives Congress no power over that one way or the other. And, you know, ab abortion laws that have been proposed in Congress have said, oh, this is because Congress has the power to regulate interstate commerce. Well, I don't think a medical procedure that's performed in within a single state is interstate commerce. But there's one other thing that's even clearer constitutionally is all citizens of the United States, uh, including pregnant women, uh, have the right to interstate travel. That's one of the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States that neither the federal government nor states can interfere with. All right, let's move on to topic four. With the recent drop in unemployment rates, Colorado's $1 billion unemployment loan is on track to be repaid. However, if it isn't paid in full, employers can expect higher federal tax rates in 2024. Uh, which, of course, is not something employers want to hear. Uh, Dominic, this might be an easier issue than some of the ones we've covered so far today, but let's talk about uh, in potential inflation, unemployment, loan. Who, who would have thought that you talk about unemployment be a little less emotional as all the different charge <laughs> topics we talked about today? Yes. Um, again, I, I'm a geek for simple math. Once I get to calculus, I'm way over my head, but the, the simple stuff I enjoy. And digging into this one was fun because I would encourage folks who want to know more about this to read the whole article, if you know what I mean. 
I mean, because, okay, we owe a billion dollars back to the government. Okay, great. And we've paid back 800 million of it. That's fantastic. Look at us, pat in the back. The economy must be doing well. This is great. Except, well, wait a second. There's a little bit of fine print. 600 million of the 800 million we paid back was actually another um, payment that we received from the federal government. This is like borrowing $1,000 from your parents and then getting $600 for Christmas and paying them back with that. Yes, technically you're a little bit ahead of the game, but it still feels like federal funny money. And in all these different conversations about inflation and businesses and unemployment, I, I don't know what the, the taste is right now for, for funny money, but honestly, let's, let's know exactly what this, what's gonna happen here. Governor Pulse is going to be able to say, we've paid off a bill. It's going to sound and in some ways can be defined as fiscal responsibility. And it'll be a great campaign stump speech. And the folks will move on. Yeah, I think that's a good coin, federal funny money. <laughs> uh, with all the money coming to Colorado, uh, at least I think employers feel comfortable. This is one problem that has been potentially solved. Um, Patty, your, your feedback? Well, there's been a lot of funny money flowing since the start of the pandemic. It's not done yet. And we're going to see... A lot of juggling as people who've gotten used to that funny money have set up programs, the city of Denver, certainly the state, they've set up programs that that funding is going to be gone. So how do the programs continue? And those are going to be big issues in the coming years. Right now, the good news is that unemployment is down in Colorado. It's hard to believe when you happen to go to all the places still looking to hire people. You would think that we're completely, you know, that everyone who wants a job is out there and working. But at least unemployment is down. That means people are getting some pay in so they can pay the increasingly high cost of groceries, of gas, and everything else that's going up. Absolutely. And, and some would say that inflation could be, you know, a... Uh a byproduct of potentially the funny money. What What do you say, David? Well, as Dominic, sorry, as Dominic said, read the full article, mm -hmm. which was by Tamara Chuang in the Colorado Sun and was outstanding. <coughs> as she explained, some states like Texas, Georgia, and Ohio did the fiscally prudent thing and took all of the latest infusion of federal funny money and used it to all of it to pay off this loan they'd had to take out for, uh, for their unemployment funds. Colorado didn't do that. As Patty said, they started their other pork programs, which now they're going to run out of money for. If Colorado doesn't finish paying this off by November 10th, <coughs> excuse me, then taxes are going to go up on, work, on, on employers. <coughs> Sorry. And then there's another tax increase that's had to do employers, besides paying off the federal loan, you've got to build up the unemployment reserve fund, which hasn't been done. And it's, we're in a recession now, and it's terrible to be raising taxes on employers in a situation like that, because that either reduces the employee's pay or reduces the number of jobs. Danny, last word on this topic? I refuse to say federal funny. I'm going to call it American rescue money. That's what it was for. And if you recall, things were pretty damn bad when the, uh, when the federal gov government distributed that money. And so good on Colorado. You paid six, you know, you paid 600 million back. Dominic, what's wrong with taking the money your parents <laughs> gave you to pay them back something you owed them? What's wrong with that? They would say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> for goodness sake, it's like, you know, regifting a wedding gift, you know? I mean, for goodness sake. Anyway, um, I don't have any problem with it. There is a concern, though. There is a concern if, if, if our unemployment is at record lows, but if unemployment does start to rise, then legitimately there is a concern because that fund has not been restored. 
Uh, we've got a little bit of time left, so we're going to go quickly through Disgrace of the Week and then uh, Positive of the Week. Patty, you want to kick us off Disgrace of the Week? Sure, I don't have to deal with Lauren Bobert. so let me go to the Colorado <laughs> Centennial Institute, which has launched a petition drive against Respect for Marriage Act. They do not want same-sex marriage okayed by states across the country. They don't want states to have to re respect other people's same-sex marriages, and uh, shame on them. David. The, the Big Ten, <coughs> sorry, I, by, by the way, I had COVID in early July. I've had all the vaccinations. My symptoms weren't that bad, but I still have obviously a continuing cold from all that. Um, <laughs> but I'm safe now. Good, okay. good disclaimer. Okay. 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 Good to know. <laughs> Gee, David, thank you. Marion Goodland, on, on the July 1st show, I was sitting right across from her and then found out that afternoon with a test that I had COVID. But apparently her, her immune system is ironclad and uh, <laughs> not, nothing happened to her. My disgrace is my beloved University of Michigan, which belongs to the Big Ten Football Conference, is now annexing uh, USC and UCLA, uh, thus leading to the probably imminent demise or at least degradation of the Pacific uh, Athletic 10 football conference, which CU plays in. Disgrace of the week, Danny. In addition to David for coughing my way, <laughs> Wyoming. Winner. Wyoming lawmakers and the governor for passing and signing yet another anti-abortion bill. You have lawmakers, um, lawmakers and governors who think they really have the right to insert themselves in a medical examining room, in a bedroom. It is just, and these are from people who call themselves freedom loving. It's a damn disgrace. Dominic. Uh, in Monty Python's classic Holy Grail, uh, the Black Knight refused to go away despite losing both, uh, both arms, both legs, and declaring it merely a flesh wound. Here we have Tina Peters, who has somehow, <laughs> some way, raised $255,000 to pay for the recount so that we can know officially that she lost by double-digit margins. If that money was all put out in dollar bills and set aflame in a chimney on my back porch, it would have met a more productive end than it is doing right now. Well done, well here, done. Here. I do remember here, here. that movie. <laughs> and to end on optimism, we'll uh, also go around and, and say something nice and Patty. Well, all the small business owners who've kept people employed, who've kept things going, and especially Sean Kenyon, who owns the Accidental and Millions of Graham Bars. He just won the National U.S. Bar Mentor, which means he He's not only helping people who need to drink, but helping people who are opening their own bars. Great. Today, August 1st, is Colorado Day. That is the day that President Grant in 1876 signed the proclamation stating that Colorado uh, had become the 37th state in the Union in the 101st year of the independence of the United States. Danny. Hi, yeah, thanks to the uh, Colorado Maternal Mortality Review Committee and the Colorado Department of Health, Healthcare Policy and Financing, new moms who are facing losing, they've given birth, they, they're facing losing their Medicaid coverage, they'll now be able to keep that coverage for up to one year, and that hopefully will go a long way to reducing uh, maternal uh, mortality rates, which is a national crisis, including in Colorado. So that's good news. And Dominic. 
Two quick shout-outs. One, to all the kind people who have reached out to me over the last several weeks. I have been so overwhelmed with your kind comments. Thank you. And a quick shout-out to two of my uh, former colleagues here at PBS 12 Moving On, uh, to New Adventures, uh, my dear friend Heather Dalton, and the producer of this program, El Neff, both uh, moving on to grand new adventures. I'm excited for them and uh, knowing that they've made such an impact here. It's hard to see them go, but I'm excited for what is lies ahead for both of them. Yeah, well said. And uh, looking forward to all your new adventures and success to come as well. Thank you. Um, I say something nice is, of course, um, excited about football season. This is the first week of training camp. So great to be with you all. And that's all the time we have for tonight. I'll watch this and other episodes at pbs12.org or on the PBS 12 YouTube channel. This is Debbie Brown. Good night and have a great weekend.